Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North, Wednesday, October 5th, just after 5 p.m. Eastern Time. If you are watching this live, if you're catching it on a pre-record, it is whatever time your clock says. So I don't want to overcomplicate things for you too, too much. Uh, we have a busy six weeks ahead of us, starting in uh, just, I think, like 10 days or so. We've got the hearings into the Emergencies Act Commission, the commission that's been set up to investigate the government's use of the Emergencies Act, the Public Order Emergency Commission. And those hearings are going to be very, I think, revealing for a lot of reasons. And, and what's happening now is uh, a former justice, Paul Rouleau, has been appointed. And they're going to be hearing testimony from uh, government officials, from law enforcement officials, from people who were connected to, in very integral ways, the convoy itself. People like Tamara Leach and, and Tom Morazzo. And I think there's going to be a lot that we learn, maybe not every day, but I think probably close to every day of this commission. And I, I wanted to tell you right up front, True North is going to be covering this extensively. I'm going to be in Ottawa at some point. My uh, colleague, Ellie Kenton-Nantel and Rupa Subramania, they'll be in Ottawa as well. We'll also be covering the hearings live. They're going to be broadcast for anyone in the country to watch. But I, I want to take a, a bigger picture look as well as a, a little look at the granular level here of uh, what this is actually how this is going to unfold and talk about the significance of it because early on it really seemed like Justin Trudeau was just trying to check a box here he didn't want any sort of scrutiny he wanted to investigate the protesters themselves and not his own government's declaration of this so-called emergency this episode is brought to you by Shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So we're going to do things a little bit differently on this program from how we usually do it. I want to get right to the guest, and we have a fan favorite for you today, Keith Wilson, who is a tremendous lawyer in Canada. And I'm so, I've am so i so instinctively been used to calling him Keith Wilson, Queen's Counsel, that when I realized he was a KC today and not a QC, I was a bit confused. And as Keith pointed out off-air, now the Queen's Counsel that we've all had are, are King's Counsel. So uh, Keith Wilson, KC, who is uh, the lawyer representing a number of the uh, convoy uh protesters and organizers as they appear before the commission in uh, just under two weeks time here keith it's good to talk to you thanks for coming on today thanks for having me on good to see you, andrew 
So let's start with the actual purpose of this itself. At, at the end of this, are we going to have a, a very distinct binary ruling that Justin Trudeau was right or wrong to invoke the Emergencies Act? Or is the report that we're going to get out of this going to be far more nuanced than that? Well, we only only time will tell, of course. But I mean, why is this inquiry even happening? And it's happening because under the predecessor legislation, the War Measures Act, there was no, there's a number of check and balances. But when the government commission reviewed the War Measures Act and proposed its modernization in the form of the Emergencies Act, they added an additional layer of check and balance. And that additional layer was a re mandatory requirement that the Privy Council appoint uh, a, a judge. In this case, it's uh, Mr. Justice Rouleau actually is, is, is still a sitting justice of the Ontario Court of Appeal. He's not, he's not retired. He's obviously on leave from that to handle this commission. But the important thing is, is that the lawmakers of the day felt there needed to be additional protections to Canadians who would have their rights violated by the invocation of these extraordinary powers. So what the law says, the Emergency Act says, is that um, um, there must be a public inquiry held by a commissioner into the circumstances that led to the invocation, and that the commissioner must prepare a report and lay it before not just the, the House of Commons and the Senate in Ottawa, but also the parliaments of every capital and every province um, uh, with respect to the commissioner's findings on whether or not the invocation was justified. When we look at the scope of this inquiry, early on, Justin Trudeau really tried to be framing this as though this was an inquiry into Tamara Leach, and this was an inquiry into Tom Arazzo, and an inquiry into this. And it didn't seem like that was, as you've just noted, supported by the legislation. And I'm very pleased to see that there does seem to be a broad array of witnesses that have appeared on that preliminary list that are going to be called. So are you optimistic that this will be a, a truly robust inquiry that will investigate the government itself? Well, you know, myself and the legal team that's heading to Ottawa next week for our deployment, we're calling it because, you know, normally you go away for a week or two on a long case, not uh, seven weeks is which are, this is going to require. But, um, you know, we're both optimistic and pessimistic, but that's a role of a lawyer. You know, we've got to <laughs> hope for the best and prepare for the worst. So we're ready for both scenarios. Uh, we're entering into this in good faith, that it's a bona fide process and that it's not going to be merely a whitewash. But, um, you know, it's going to be an opportunity while we're there and our, our clients are there. Uh, those who Canadians who came forward to fight for the freedoms of their neighbours uh, to tell their story. And the one place that they'll be hopefully telling their story, if they're all allowed to be witnesses, because that remains to be seen, uh, is in the hearing room. But we're also intending to make those that are allowed to speak widely available to you and others outside of the hearing room to make sure that the truth gets out. Because we believe that anybody who examines this truthfully and not through the lens of the captured legacy media, but you know, people who saw the live streams, people who followed the new emerging media, they know what happened. They know that this was a peaceful gathering of Canadians of all backgrounds, of all ethnicities, of, of many languages, 
that were there because they were fundamentally concerned about the prime minister and the government's overreach into our lives and the impact it was having on our jobs and our children and our communities. So, uh, and that everybody, they were there as representatives of many thousands of other Canadians, each one of them taking a stand for the charter and the rule of law. One thing that I find fascinating, and you sort of alluded to it there, and, and you and I have talked about it on, on this very program in the past, is that the level of control that's been exacted through the uh, bail conditions on Tamara Leach and, and Chris Barber notably, I, I think the line you used is that it would make Putin envious, in that these people have been barred from, uh, in Tamara's case, using social media, in both uh, Tamara's and Chris's case, talking to media or speaking in any way about the convoy. For Canadians who saw them be arrested in February. This has been eight months later, the first opportunity they will have had if they're testifying to actually speak out, to speak about what's happened to them. And and that's quite significant. And I, I'm glad they're being given, it seems like, that opportunity. But it, it's so significant to me that 10 months has gone by in which both of these people have had a gag order and it's only under this uh, scenario that they're going to be allowed to speak. Yeah, it's remarkable. It's really hard to believe that in Canada, you know, a citizen who is otherwise completely law abiding and has an impeccable history and record of contribution to communities, Habitat for Humanity, helping her neighbors, worked as a 911 dispatcher or grandma, you know, would find herself that the prime minister and the government feels so threatened by her words and what she can say that they put her under an uh, incredible gag order that prevents her from speaking publicly, criticizing COVID-19 mandates and government policies and speaking in support of the Freedom Convoy. And if she does those things directly, indirectly, it's like the, the language is incredible, it's so broad, directly, indirectly, financially or otherwise, um, then she goes back to jail. And um, she's already spent 49 days in jail, which the three of the judges that reviewed the case said, even if she were convicted of these mischief charges, she would not spend any more time in jail than she's already spent. So it's a real question as to why this is even, she's still under any conditions and these charges even stand. But uh, yes, this will be an opportunity for Tamara uh, Leach and Chris Barber to speak to Canadians and to the commissioner and tell their story without fear that suddenly Tamara is going to find herself yet again in shackles and chains. When we look at this investigation, this uh, commission that, that's going to undertake its investigation, one thing that, that really strikes me is that a lot of Canadians were being presented with the facts through the lens of the mainstream media or near the end through the government's filter when Justin Trudeau and Marco Mendicino and Christian Freeland were getting up there and telling Canadians what was happening, which certainly, as I've seen writing about this after the fact, was not the case. I, I have to ask whether, because we don't have a lot of precedent for the Emergencies Act, can the government fall back on things that might have happened or things they thought were happening? Or is there a very high threshold they need to clear to justify this as far as the actual facts on the ground? Well, you know, there's so when they invoked the Emergencies Act uh, on February 13th or 14th, rather, um, they took the position that they met the criteria for the invocation which meant that, you know, the enemy was not necessarily at the gate, but the 
enemy was within the country and the government was on the verge of collapsing and being toppled. <laughs> yeah, the bouncy castles were very, very raucous. So they've got a tough, a tough, uh, tough road to get down here. Um, we're not expecting this to be a clean process in the sense that we've seen how Minister Mendocino in particular has had to walk back a number of statements that he's yeah. made that have been proven to be contradicted by the testimony of the police chiefs. Uh, like when he said, oh, the police asked for it and they went to police chief number one. No, we didn't. OPP. No, it wasn't us. RCMP. No, we didn't. Um, and on I could go, the fires, the arson, the rapes, all of these outrageous statements that he's made. So we're anticipating that's going to continue. And um, uh, we are ensuring that we have uh, extensive rebuttal evidence ready to expose the truth and to hold all of the witnesses to a high standard of telling the truth and exposing the truth. So um, it remains to be seen how they're going to exactly conduct themselves. But we're just assuming that Mendocino in particular is going to just continue his past pattern of behavior. Now, as I understand it, this isn't adversarial in nature. So from a format perspective, you, you can't directly cross-examine witnesses, can you? Uh, no, you can. You can. So when, when are you going to get to go up against Justin Trudeau then? Because we know he's being called. Well, um, the, the, the nature of this process is inquisitorial. And so it's not like a normal case I would have where I'm representing one party and they think they're owed a million dollars by another party mm -hmm. and the judge has to rule on that or someone's being defended against a criminal charge and they risk going to jail. Um, <clears throat> it's a, it's a fact finding process. And so one of the difficulties that's arisen and the unique things about this case is the pivotal role that myself and my colleague, uh, colleague lawyer Eva Chipiak played in being on the ground and um, dealing with the negotiations with the police and the liaison with the police, dealing with the negotiations and the mayor on the deal to move the trucks out of the downtown, but for Wellington, and all of these events that are now very critical to whether or not the invocation was justified. So um, my clients have instructed me to make myself available to be a witness um, which is, is, is very unusual. It's not without precedent. So there's a general rule that if you, you can't be both, you can't be both the barrister, uh, doing the cross examinations, um, as well as a witness. So, uh, we have, uh, we've expanded our legal team and to address that, uh, that scenario. And so, um, uh, if I am, if I am testifying, uh, I will not be conducting the cross-examinations. Uh, if I'm not testifying, I will be conducting the cross-examinations. So uh, that's the, the current lay of the land. Um, uh, I'll still be heavily involved in, in advising on the case, obviously, and, uh, and preparing the witnesses and identifying and assessing the testimony from the government officials and the peace, the police. It will be quick. Normally, I have to turn to your client when someone testifies opposite, and you got to say, "Is that right? Is that true? Did that really happen?" I'm going to be sitting there going, "No, that didn't happen. No, nope, that's <laughs> not right." So it's going to really speed us up. We're going to be able to respond and assess in instead of seconds, nanoseconds. 
But just to confirm, because we, we do know that uh, the Prime Minister's office has said that Justin Trudeau is expected to testify. So he will not just face questions, I'm understanding from what you're saying, from the commissioner, but also conceivably from you or one of your colleagues representing uh, people connected to the convoy. That is the normal process that uh, when a party has full standing, they have the right to do an opening statement. They have the right to address procedural matters. They have the right to present witnesses and examine them in chief. They have the right to cross-examine witnesses, adverse and interest, and then do closing arguments. So um, we've received no indication that there's going to be a deviation from that. Uh, I can't speak to the witness list because it's confidential. I haven't disclosed who's on it, but I, I have read the same news stories that you have read. So I do know that it's in the public domain that the prime minister's office has confirmed that he will be attending as a witness. Uh, I think it's very important that he be there. He has got a lot of explaining to do. I mean, remember this, that the border at uh, that Coots and and uh, Windsor were open. There was no border closures on the Saturday. They, they opened up on the Saturday and the Sunday. So that would be the 12th and the 13th of February. And then we secured the agreement after a number of days of negotiations with the mayor uh, on behalf of the truckers to leave the downtown, uh, to consolidate the trucks up onto Wellington and the Sir John A with the balance of the trucks and the protest vehicles going out to Armprar and another base camp called 88 outside of the city. There was shuttle bus service already running. The mayor's vision was that the shuttle buses could be expanded and then the protesters could come and go during the day and bring their signs and, and, and their flags and so on and, and help uh, bring some normalcy back to the downtown core. And the truckers agreed to that. And we were on the process. We'd announced the deal on the Sunday. We signed it on the Saturday. Um, and then on the Monday morning, we started uh, Sunday night. There was a logistics meeting at City Hall with the superintendent of police, the city manager, the head of emergency services, and a, a delegation of logistics specialists. And, and my colleague, Eva Chipiak, attended that meeting as well. Uh, plans were put in place for the morning move. And uh, the next day, the Monday, same day, prior, just prior to him announcing, the prime minister announcing the invocation of the Emergencies Act, we um, uh, there was 102 protest vehicles moved from the downtown, uh, 42 trucks in total, 23 went up to Wellington, the rest left and went to these other locations or home, and two city blocks were cleared. So if you think about it, had the government not intervened and stopped that deal from being completed, the whole downtown would have been cleared but for Wellington by Wednesday. And it turns out it wasn't until Friday that they sent in the goons, you know, the riot police to beat up Canadians and veterans. And then it wasn't till the Sunday that they actually cleared everything out. So had the and it's important to note Wellington Street, not a residential street, not a business street. It is a government street. So it would have been, as far as protests are concerned, focused squarely on the government if it were confined to Wellington Street. Well, and that was the mayor's message. He was when when we were having the the, the negotiations leading up to the Saturday deal was he said, I understand why the protests are here. Your grievance is with the federal government. So consolidate. There's lots of space up on Wellington still. Move your trucks up onto Wellington and your protest vehicles there. And 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 part of the Sir John A. And but otherwise open up and remove. Well, the streets were open, but remove your presence from all other streets. And that's what the what the the, the truckers agreed to. Um, interestingly, I was just in Ottawa two weeks ago to argue uh, a case, the, the mootness, defend the mootness application yeah, yeah. for Premier Peckford's case. 
And so went for a little walk. Wellington Street still blocked by barricades, you know, big concrete barricades. So, um, you know, would it have made a difference uh, functionally to the city had Wellington been blocked for another month or two because there were still trucks there? Obviously not, because it's blocked by the government right now. But symbolically, I think the idea of the mayor resolving this this situation that was being watched internationally, as you know, uh, in the face of the prime minister flatly refusing to have any discussions with the truckers about their concerns, despite the prime minister meeting with BLM and other protest groups regularly, uh, would have made exposed him for who he is and made him look very weak. And I think that's why he kiboshed the deal and yeah. and uh, sent in the police. Yeah, and I also believe, and, I, and one thing that I'm going to be listening for and watching for in the hearings, that they were hell-bent on wanting the financial powers of the Emergencies Act, which were, were really, as we saw from Windsor and Coots, the one thing that they couldn't do without the Emergencies Act, really, as far as normal policing powers, it, it seemed. And I, I don't want you, Keith, to have to give away anything. Not that you would. You're a better lawyer than that. But uh, what, in general, are the questions that you still have, the, the questions that are unanswered as far as uh, things that you think the government needs to really account for? <laughs> One, what made you think you were going to get away with this? Mm. That's it. That is a very good question and one that we will be uh, watching out for in the uh, weeks ahead here. Uh, Keith Wilson, uh, what in particular, I mean, who are you, what, what part are you most looking forward to? I know it's a bit, bit of a marathon, but, but what are you looking forward to about uh, this uh, set of hearings? Uh, them being over and getting back home to my family and my dog. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that is, and I, I saw just before we started, I, I got to see your dog. So I know uh, he'll be missing you a great deal when you're uh, in Ottawa, but uh, I know you're going to do great work there. That, that's a very sincere answer, but that's, you can, you can appreciate that. And, and I know your viewers will too, but I think I'm, I am looking forward to uh, these very important witnesses from all sides coming forward and illuminating their role in this. This is historic. Um, the outcome of this potentially redefines what Canada's about in terms of, you know, I've always thought it was true, nor strong and free and respect for diversity and inclusion and respect for human rights and freedoms. Um, that's sort of what we've kind of wore as our badge of honor. And uh, so this is going to be a, an interesting test to see how many other government officials and key police officials and other leaders believe those things to be true. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't a press conference. So my hope is that they cannot hide behind their talking points and sound bites, which is particularly acute in the case of Marco Mendicino. But uh, in general, with uh, Christian Freeland and Justin Trudeau, that, that's my sincere hope about this. I, I literally wrote a book about this thing, and I'm still learning about so much of it as the weeks go on. So I, I'm looking forward to uh, just to forewarn. So it's going to be live streamed. Yes. But to forewarn everybody, because I've been doing litigation for a few decades now is there's going to be times where it's going to be really frustrating because you're right, it's not a press conference. So the witness is going to be allowed to speak for an extended period of time and they're going to be asked softball questions by their lawyer and it's all going to be carefully prepared. So you're going to see a narrative get painted and you're going to, if you know the truth, you'll be getting frustrated and then <laughs> you'll be getting anxious. And as it gets worse and longer, 
more. And so there'll be a lot of that. This is going to be a roller coaster ride for anybody who's been following this very closely. But, you know, we've got a great legal team. We've got some great Canadians who came forward to volunteer. Um, they're going to get on the stand and they're going to tell the truth. And uh, we're going to see what happens here. Just one other thing. A lot of people have asked, is there some way that the prime minister could call a snap election or do something to stop this hearing from going ahead? The short answer is no. This hearing will go ahead. It's required by statute. The commissioner needs time uh, to carefully listen to the witnesses and then to review all the documentary evidence and then write his report. So um, uh, it's going to be a very uh, interesting uh, two months coming ahead. Well, with you as the uh, counsel here, the truth is in good hands. Keith Wilson, KC now, KC, not QC. Uh, appreciate very much your time as always, Keith. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. All right, that was Keith Wilson, lawyer representing uh, folks connected with the convoy, the Freedom Convoy protest uh, before the uh, Public Order Emergency Commission's hearings, uh, which start later this month and run into November for uh, six, seven weeks. Uh, we'll be watching them, and True North will have a, a daily recap. We know that not everyone has the uh, patience to suffer through what Keith just described there and watch hours and hours of this every day. I'm going to be up in Ottawa. My colleagues are going to be up in Ottawa, and we're going to have you covered on this. And we'll also be sharing as we're able to clips and uh, things like that on the program. I, I haven't seen the rules yet as far as if it's like courtrooms where you can't record, but as I understand it, it's going to be very publicly available. And as I, as I said also, this is not going to be an opportunity where Justin Trudeau can hide behind the talking point, where Marco Mendicino can hide behind the talking point. They may, and I'm glad Keith gave that warning, be a little bit, uh, you know, they're, they're able to sort of run their mouth when they're in the softball phase, but these people are going to be subjected to cross-examination. And I'm glad Keith corrected that because it is inquisitorial and not adversarial. So I wasn't actually sure that cross-examination would be a key part of this. I'm glad to know it will be. And that people who by their nature are not used to taking questions will have to take questions. So that's a bit of a look ahead at what we can expect and True North is going to be starting with this, uh, with uh, obviously some coverage this weekend, but I, I want to just pull up the exact dates here because... Uh, this was pushed back. This was supposed to start in September, as many of you know, but obviously we had to bump it back because there was a, a health issue that the commissioner had, which was not disclosed, but uh, we hope and it sounds like has been resolved. So the commission is going to be starting its work on this, uh, and it's going to be taking place in the Bambrick Room at 395 Wellington Street. So ironically, on Wellington Street, and it starts next Thursday, so just over a week on October 13th and runs for uh, six, seven weeks into the end of November. So uh, those are the details, starting with True North at uh, October 13th. You'll be able to see it, and hopefully there will be lots of other coverage as well. So if you value the work we're doing, including covering this and also covering the convoy itself, which was such a, a watershed moment for independent media, please do head on over to donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news, and we thank you very much for your support. And if you are really interested in this story, I also have a book out on it, which you can buy, The Freedom Convoy, The Inside Story of Three Weeks That Shook the World. I have not actually been called to testify as a witness, but uh, maybe I should just like send a signed copy to the commission to enter in as evidence. Who knows? Uh, that does it for me for today. We will be back with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show soon enough. This is The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. 
Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.